2: What is up, Nets fans? Welcome to the Brooklyn Buzz. I'm your host, Nick Faye. With me, as always, Jack Manuel. What is up, Jack?
3: Good to have some wins on the board, Nick.
2: Yes, I forgot what it felt like to get back-to-back wins, you know, over the Raptors and the Knicks, division rivals, so that's always great, too. Ended that eight-game losing streak, so a positive note for the Nets. But, as always, check out the Brooklyn Buzz on iTunes, basketball.com otgbasketball.com, netsrepublic.com, Dash Radio, and YouTube. But, Jack... Do you think the Raptors game could be a turning point for the Nets in terms of, like, closing games and feeling more confident about themselves beating the best team in the league record-wise?
3: Yeah, I mean, Nick, if you're going off of the post-game interview with D'Angelo Russell, which sort of was the talking point uh, heading into this Knicks matchup, it sort of felt like it. You know, the the video game, uh, the video game, the video session um, with all of the the players only, um, I'm assuming, uh, was also part of that sort of turning point as well. So I think it certainly was and even just seeing the communication down the stretch uh, in that Raptors game, you know, you could see that there was, you know, a, a, a noticeable shift. There, you know, we, there were certainly some worrying moments in that last quarter against the Knicks, but obviously we closed it out, but it, it certainly feels like a Nick. But um, there are a lot of those that sort of come throughout the season. But I think at this point in time uh, to be the best team in the NBA, I remember I was running the OTG account last night, And I put out, you know, what was the more surprising win, uh, the Bulls over OKC or the Nets over Raptors. But for me to beat the best team in the NBA, uh, it's probably one of the better wins of the season for any team.
2: Yeah, especially the Raptors like you said Jack, the way they've been playing, having Kawhi Leonard, having Kyle Lowry who they did a great job defensively on yesterday, you know, able to win that game when obviously the Raptors are super talented and close it out. It has to be a huge confidence booster. You know, the issues are still there, but I think that's something they can kind of lean back on later in the season and be like, "Alright, we beat the Raptors in the fourth quarter, we can be, you know, XY and Z team." Long as they're not, you know, the Golden State Warriors still feel pretty confident in most matchups. So, the Knicks, you know, beating the Knicks tonight 112-104, Should add to that confidence, but there were still some flaws in the fourth quarter, but we'll start from the top. What were your takeaways from this one?
3: Yeah, Spencer Dinwiddie, uh, the new shoe comes out. You know, it's the 25th of the year. Uh, he scores 25 points. He's got the number eight. It just all, it was his night tonight. Um, Jared Allen as well, another double-double. He's 11th of the season. He continues to do well. And D'Angelo Russell, despite not scoring the ball well, had 11 assists and it you know, was one point away from that double-double. So real team effort. Rondell Holtz-Jefferson continuing his consistency. Really to show some defensive flashes that we saw from him last season. So a lot of good things uh, from the Nets. Probably played three quarters of basketball. And that last quarter where the Nets benched those young guys, they just got the better of us. But we were uh, good enough to close down. And a mini shout-out to Alan Crabb as well, who has been, you know, a, a little bit streaky, but his percentages have been pretty good as of this uh, sort of losing streak and then the mini winning streak we've been on as well.
2: Yeah, and I tweeted this out during the game, you know, A good Allen Crabb makes a huge difference for the Nets. That three-point shooting, that off-ball movement, just the energy he can bring when he's knocking down shots is big for the team. You mentioned Rondé. Really nice to see him get that energy back defensively, offensively, cutting to the rim. But I thought right from the start, the Nets did a good job of kind of setting the tone by playing some really nice defensive positions. There's a couple possessions for the Knicks where they were just denying pass, denying pass. The Knicks ended up shooting a bad shot in the shot clock. You know, Cantor did his... You know he owned them in the paint when he was in there, but I felt like the Nets did a great job of attacking him on the defensive end, which they didn't didn't necessarily do in the other games when they faced the Knicks tonight. You saw Jared Allen go at him in the pick and roll. You saw Rondé attack him. You saw Spencer doing what he, you know, making sure he couldn't if he was going to be out there and scoring points on the one end, they were
3: going to attack him on the other end. Yeah, I mean when they were in that fourth quarter, NS Cantor was nowhere to be seen when the Nick when the Knicks were going on a run. So it just goes to show that despite the fact that he puts up these ridiculous numbers and he's one of the most talented offensive big men in the NBA when it comes to uh, around the paint and around the post you know he doesn't really impact winning basketball which is what you want from your center whereas I think Jared Allen generally what he does on the floor on both ends it impacts winning basketball and you know it was reflective in tonight and he was out there before getting fouled out with a couple of minutes left to go in the game so Jared Allen impacts winning basketball in his you know on tonight at least he didn't
2: yeah, exactly. You know, Jared Allen has a really big impact on the game. He only had two blocks tonight, but it felt like he had more because he was contesting so many shots at the rim. Very impressive stuff from him. It seems like he's grown every matchup with Cantor tonight. He handled him a little bit better, had a couple blocks, and nice defensive plays on him. Offensively, what did you like from the Nets? You know, the ball movement seemed like it was very nice, especially in that first, second, and third quarter.
3: Very, very crisp, Nick. You know the ball was buzzing around, really humming. You know it wasn't really anyone sort of taking over. I loved the attack from Spencer Dinwiddie. Uh, I was holding down Net Republic on Twitter. Spencer drive, ready. Spencer Rimwiddie. There was plenty of tweets <laughs> going out around it. He just is an absolute master. His angles, you know, it, it, with him and Karis Lavert, you know, we own that area. And even Rondé to an extent tonight was getting his own there and drawing contact. So and D'Angelo a couple times as well looked really nice. That floater, obviously. Is is one of the most gorgeous plays that any Nets player has. But yeah, Spencer Dimirity, the driving, the kicking, it just opened up so much uh, so much of the lane, so much spaces for the three pointer. It was just when the ball is humming, it's, you know, the, the ball moves faster than the player. So, you know, if we're sort of comparing it to that final play before OT when D'Angelo Russell sort of held the ball, you could sort of tell he wanted to hold for the final shot, but the ball just wasn't moving. You'd much rather get into a play. And the Nets were making some really nice sets, and it was just emblematic with you know some some big quarters most quarters you know 38 points especially in that third uh it was really uh wonderful the offense was really humming yeah, and you mentioned
2: that third quarter i felt like that's where Dinwiddie really took over in that late third he got mitchell robinson switched on him a few times and he just went to work on him you know you saw a crafty drive to the rim where he protected the ball by attacking the other side you saw him hit him with a fake and just scoop it up so doing definitely in his bag tonight it was very nice performance from him what did you like from Rondé? You know, kind of lost the Raptors games too. We saw some defense. We saw some drives to the rim.
3: What are you liking about him? Do you think he's starting to get some of his athleticism back, you know, from the injury? I think it, not Not even athleticism. I think it's more just confidence. I think Rondé, more than any, you know, you could probably argue Alan Crabb as well, is a player that feeds off confidence. Two three-pointers made as well. You know, that he's been, what, what was it again that you put out, Nick? I think seven? four or seven in the last five games. Yeah, so, I mean, he can take that shot. And I think, you know, if he's making them, keep going for it. Um, You know, his form isn't going to always be perfect. But if he makes it, you can just see the confidence that it gives him. And he knows how much that sort of impacts the team. And it sort of, you know, it helps him on both ends of the floor. You know, the defensive energy he brings on on, on a nightly basis uh, for the past sort of week or so. He's been absolutely dominant. You know, that final possession against Kawhi, you know, that really, really crafty strip down loan to be able to, you know, dodge and somehow leap over the ball and not find contact and get the ball back. You know, he he was really key in that sort of stretch where the Knicks were making a run. So for me tonight, it was Rondé and Spencer, but, you know, you could argue both of them had as much an impact.
2: Yeah, definitely nice to see Rondé. It feels like offensively, he's starting to find his rhythm where, you know, he knocked down the corner three twice, but it was also nice to see him cut to the rim, give those drives. I think he's somewhere where, you know, we saw the Knicks attack D'Angelo and Spencer doing that fourth quarter, hit double teams with them. Rondé's a guy I think that could step up in that area because he has some ability at that forward position to dribble a little bit, make a little bit of plays. He, He can improve in that area, but I think it's something the Nets might look to further in the season.
3: Yeah, and the mid-ranger was hit a little bit as well. So it just seems like all aspects of his game that we marveled at in his season review last year are sort of starting to come back. And, you know, all of the other areas sort of feed each other. Basketball is, you know, it's a really complicated sort of sport, but it's more than any, like like many other endeavors, it's, it's it's based off of confidence and how you're sort of feeling within yourself and then how that impacts those around you. But um, Rondé showing some really good signs, and, you know, he could be earning himself a, a nice contract. We'll have to wait and see, but still early days, but, um, you know, the signs are good. What
2: did you think about the rebounding battles? The Nets only ended up winning 45 to 40, but at different points of the game, they're up by
3: 10 in the rebounding battle. Offensive boards in the first half, they really worked them. Yeah, it seemed like it was just a real emphasis, Nick. It seemed to be, you know, there was three, four guys down there, down low, even offensively. It seems to me that... You know, whether it's a a shift from the coaching staff or the players, that they've made it, you know, a a real point of emphasis. I remember reading um, Tom Haberstow's piece the other day, and the fact that if you win the rebounding battle, it's one of the key indicators to if you're going to win the game. I think it was like something like 75% of games have been won if you win the rebounding battle. And I think that's probably emblematic of the Nets as well. It might even be a greater percentage, especially this season. You know, we have some, you know, really elite rebounders in, in our team, and our guards have some good size about them. So, so I think that should be an area where we continue to focus on but both defensively and offensively because it really feeds the energy uh, you know you getting that rebound boxing out you know doing all those little things uh, it's it ends the the play in, in a lot of sense of the word especially when it's you know defensive rebounding you know is probably one of the key aspects of defense and if you're doing that well you know a, a lot of other areas take care of itself so yeah rebounding was a, a really nice sort of aspect that I saw from the Nets tonight uh, yeah. even if we Yeah, if we didn't win it by such a large margin, it felt like more.
2: Yeah, and that first half, too, offensive rebounds definitely had an impact. I think when you have a second unit of Ed Davis, Rodions, and Amari Carroll, did a great job of getting in there, poking the ball out, and getting some easy putbacks.
3: Yeah, eight uh, offensive rebounds, five for Ed Davis, uh, three for Damari Carroll. You know, it just shows you that these guys just know what they want, and uh, you can't... You can do anything that you want against Ed Davis, but he's getting the offensive rebounds. You know, leading the league in offensive rebound percentage. It's just an area where you can't stop him, and, you know, I'll... Like, again, that he played in 20, uh, another 20 minutes tonight. It's it's good to see him, you know, getting past those teams. Because for me, uh, Ed Davis is a guy that deserves, you know, around that 20 to 22 mark. I want to see that consistently from him. Not just from a viewing aspect, but, you know, he does impact uh, positively whenever he's out there. You know, he can give away five, six fouls. He, he gave away none tonight. But if he's out there for 20 minutes, he loves seeing that aggression and energy.
2: Yeah, exactly, and he's a guy that's probably been one of the best Nets players this year, at least consistency wise. And like you said, Jack, the advanced metrics love him. So I think twenty minutes is definitely a good mark from him. Mentioning Rodions, you know, we saw him coming with the second unit. Are you happy about him? He had zero points tonight, but you kind of still felt his impact out there.
3: Yeah, I think uh, I can't remember. If it was some Nets Daily writer put out the fact that he still does the right things, and you can see. His brain is almost moving too fast for his body. There's times where he just wants to do a little bit too much, sort of has that eagerness. And you'd much rather see that from a guy like him rather than showing sort of the the timid nature that we might see from a lot of other young guys. So Rodion's is going to have his up and downs and, you know, it it might see him get a a couple of DNPs here and there. But he still was, you know, plus two in the evening. He gave away five fouls. You know, it seemed to me defensively is going to be the area where he's going to need to improve because he has... Really nice offensive awareness. And he sort of, when the Nets were out there, sort of then that ball was really moving around. You know, Rodion was moving himself and sort of, you know, that ball and play of movement has an impact. But yeah, I think defensively is going to be an area where he's going to really need to make some strides. And whether that's in the G League with the Long Island or whether it's on where with um, the Brooklyn Nets as well, uh, I think the Suns still remain very good.
2: Yeah, and I think it's just small things, too. We saw him get that one uh, stupid foul on Tim Hardaway Jr. where he just kind of swept at his wrist after he already shot the ball. You know, I think it's just small things like that. Now, do you think Rodion's will go back to the G League, or do you think he's starting to earn himself consistent minutes with the Brooklyn Nets?
3: Yeah, I think um, we had a mini chat. I'll put it out on, on Nets Republic as well. It's going to be... Uh, a question of matchups, you know, is Shabazz Napier going to see time, or is it going to be Rodion's court, so I think it's going to be down to those two, those guys are, you know, number 10 in the rotations, Jared Dudley as well, only saw seven minutes tonight, though I I did like what I saw from him, so I'm not sure whether those lesser minutes were because of just uh, a fatigue issue, wouldn't surprise me, but he did do some nice things tonight, despite being, you know, only a, a negative two in the plus minus, so uh, I think it's going to come down to those three. They're your lesser guys in the rotation, especially with Damari starting to get it get his feet back a little bit. Alan krabs playing well, and, R- and Rondo Hollis Jefferson are playing well also, and, jo- and Joe Harris, uh, I forgot to mention too. So uh, I think it's going to be down to those three. Those guys are eight, nine, and 10 in our rotation.
2: And then you got Trevion Graham, I would assume, be coming back soon. I would expect to see him at least January 2019. So that's another guy that can kind of push over some minutes as well. It'll be interesting what happens, if, but if Rodion keeps bringing that energy, like you – Instantly feel him out there. And like you mentioned, the off ball and even the regular ball movement, just the passes when he gets the ball, doesn't really stick he either Passes it or he drives or he shoots. You know, it's not like he's holding and dribbling too much. So I really like that. But, you know, Jack, we talked about the Nets really playing well the first, second, third quarter. What went kind of wrong in that fourth quarter? Anything specifically? Was it just the Knicks young guy stepping up or was the Nets offense
3: getting stagnant or the Knicks made an adjustment? I think it was probably one and two, Nick. I think the offense did get really stagnant. Um, It was interesting to see D'Angelo Russell not play much of the quarter. Obviously, Spencer was, you know, probably the better performer on the night. But I I thought that, you know, D'Angelo Russell was a key in sort of moving the ball well. So I would have liked to see him out there for a little bit longer. And I think that, you know, maybe looking back, Coach Kenny might see that as a a bit of a mistake. But, yeah, there was a lot of moments where the ball just stuck and there was too much dribbling, you know, sloppy turnovers. And, you know, the young guys just bring energy. Guys like Mitchell Robertson, Damian Dotson, you know, Kevin Knox. These guys are just making plays. Frank Nillikina, a lot of guys who have been linked to our nets as well. They just were feeding off each other, They were feeding off the energy and feeding off the MSG crowd. Uh, It was good to have a few little moments from Alan Crabbe. And I think Rondé Hollis-Jefferson and Spencer were key in sort of, you know, um, culling the run, so to speak. Uh, But it was, you know, a a learning experience. But Nick, were you a little frustrated, like a lot of Nets fans, that Coach Kenny didn't call a timeout a little bit earlier throughout that stretch?
2: Yeah, I think it would have maybe made sense to call a timeout there. I think there's different theories on it. Some people believe, you know, let your team kind of fight through it and maybe conserve those timeouts for later in the fourth quarter, which obviously the Nets playing a ton of close games. But I think in that situation, especially for a young team, you know, it would have made sense to call a timeout there. And then on the Knicks end, they were just playing with a lot of energy. And like you mentioned, that MSG crowd was kind of getting into it. But I can understand not calling it, but I think I personally would have called a timeout.
3: Yeah, I, I mean, there were certain points where Coach Kenny certainly had the opportunity to do it. Um, you know, I, I think a lot of guys were asking Brian, our boy Brian Fonseca, you know, make sure to pose that question to Coach Kenny in the post game, whether, whether they do or whether the Nets Daily and the other reporters do. You know, if I was there, I certainly would have maybe chucked it and sort of worded it in a certain way to sort of turn it into a positive, so to speak. Um, but yeah, it, it was certainly a little bit frustrating. And But overall on the night, you know, you can't fault Coach Kenny. But I think that's one thing. You know, I, I remember putting out after the Raptors game where all the Kenny, Coach Kenny haters now, but that's still one thing, you know, we're not going to, you know, be easy on him when he does make mistakes and we're going to recognize the fact when he needs to improve. And he knows that as well. He's by far from being a perfect coach, but that's one easy area that you can just go, look, okay, this team is heading on a run here. I know my guys, you know, probably need a little bit of a, t- just let's just slow it down. Because, you know, you look to David Fisdale who, you know, immediately would call timeouts, you know, whenever he see, he saw fit. I think the you mentioned the timeout numbers. I think those take care of itself, Nick. Uh, I think you need to sort of be a bit more in the moment about it and sort of not think too far ahead, which I think Coach Kenny can do a little bit too much at times.
2: Yeah, and it's strange because we've seen him call good timeouts before when other teams going to run. I mean, I remember in the New Orleans game, the Nets lost that one, but in the first quarter, New Orleans went on a great run, and he instantly called a timeout, and that pretty much turned the tables on the game and allowed the Nets to kind of build a lead there. So obviously, he's not perfect; he needs adjustments, kind of just like the players. He's developing as well, like we've mentioned a lot. So there's going to be mistakes every night. But what do you think? Just talking actually another coaching adjustment. So we've seen teams now start to double team D'Angelo Russell and Spencer Dembry in the fourth quarter off pick and roll and. Come kind of force them into weird situations. How do you think the Nets can adjust to that?
3: I think it's going to be an adjustment of, you know, the guys around them stepping up, Nick. You know, guys like Joe Harris, Ronda Jefferson, Alan Crabb, being able to get them that space and even punish off the, you know, find the extra space. If there's an open guy, you know, if you're leaving Joe Harris or Alan Crabb open, those guys are lethal. You know, and D'Angelo Russell and Spencer Dinwiddie are very good passes. Maybe not necessarily elite passes, but very good passes, and they will find you. So I think it's going to be you know, the teammates around them stepping up because, you know, D'Angelo Russell and and Spencer Dimwitty, they're our two best players. They're going to be the key to us going forward uh, in terms of our success. So I think it's going to be about awareness. I'm sure the coaches will be showing them plenty of film so they can make the individual adjustments, but I'm sure they'll also be showing the team as well because our guys are starting to get a little bit more respect now. And with Karis Lavert out, The brunt of the offense uh, is going to go through those two backcourt guys, and uh, they're going to have to make the adjustments, but I've got my full faith in those two because, you know, they continue to do good things going forward. And, you know, it was uh, D'Angelo Russell against Toronto, but tonight it was Spencer. So, you know, both of these guys uh, are going to be a big part of, you know, Brooklyn's future if, you know, all things pan out as we expect.
2: Yeah, it's definitely, I think you could argue that maybe those two and their chemistry in that situation and helping the other, if they're on the court in the fourth quarter together, which we've seen at times they haven't been, but I think they could help each other kind of getting to open space and helping your teammates. Like you said, maybe not just them as well. You know, maybe the guy who's rolling, you cut off your roll, you get to the open space just so they have an outlet for the pass. Now the defense is already broken down. You keep moving the ball like you were. I think it's just a team kind of adjusting to, and the coaching staff putting that in their head. Like, you know, we can still move the ball. We just have to kind of find open space so the guys can get open and make the, the pass.
3: Yeah, and little handoffs, you know, uh, Jared Allen has, you know, become, you know, it's one of his favorite plays, you know, the sort the of dribble handoff, take one or two dribbles. I think, you know, it, it's just about consistent movement, you know, not letting the ball just stick a little bit, you know, making the initial pass rather than waiting and over-dribbling. Uh, I think playing more instinctual basketball, and I think DeAngelo Russell talked about that more with his shot, and Coach Kenny was like, we gave him a bit more free reign in terms of the offense being able to shoot that mid-ranger, that gives him a little bit more confidence and sort of not having to overthink, you know, oh, okay, I, I need to dribble more. I need to attack the rim more. I need to make sure I take a few, you know, dribbles out. So I'm taking this from the perimeter rather than from 15 to 18 feet. So I think, yeah, just probably playing instinctual basketball uh, at the same time, because, you know, there are going to be plenty of mistakes uh, along the way, especially for a guy like D'Lo, but you know, the, it's, it's all part of the learning process for this entire Nets organization.
2: Yeah, it's so we still got plenty of work to do in the fourth quarter, like we said, with the offense getting stagnant. There's always a couple lazy turnovers. But Jack, any last
3: thoughts on the Knicks and Nets game? It just feels good to be the Knicks. The yes. Knicks, Nick, <laughs> um, say that a million times, but it's uh, it's. I mean, Dad walked in. Uh, my dad walked in like uh, halfway through the last quarter. He's like. They're going to win this one. And he said it with, like, the tone where he's just, like, he knows that how well, like, you know, up and down I've been with the the Nets sort of winning and losing streaks. So it was good to get the W uh, onto the Sixers, who we've shown some decent form with. But, um, you know, a couple of days off, which would hopefully allow the guys to reset, watch some film, you know, uh, get to some practices. Uh, it, it's a good sign going forward to be on a winning streak, heading into a mini break.
2: Yeah, it's back to back wins for the first time this season. As you mentioned, that's Republic account. The first time they won the second night of back to back on the road in what? Since when, Jack? Three years, I believe, 2015. So that is ridiculous in a way. But uh, moving on to the first game of the back to back against the Raptors, and that's one 106, 105 in overtime in another nail biter, but they pulled this one out. What were your takeaways from this one?
3: Man, we beat the best team in the league, Nick. You know, uh, we'll be doing the team player rankings for you know, Full Access Hoops and OTG basketball very soon. But hint, hint, the Toronto Raptors are certainly up there. So I wasn't expecting much, but there was just a part of me where, you, you know, the Nets have done this, did this against the Oklahoma City Thunder, the best defensive team in the league. You know, we destroyed the Philadelphia 76ers early in the season and also had a very close loss to them if it weren't for Jimmy Butler. So the Nets know how to play up to capabilities. You know, we played well against the Warriors as well. So you never discount, you know, Brooklyn no matter what. Uh, I'm sure plenty of others will, but the team basketball is sort of what makes a difference and the, the way we played tonight, you know, the Nets, the Raptors are far deeper, far more talented, but it was team basketball that won it. And D'Angelo Russell was just, yeah, his leadership and his ability to just go, this is my game, shone through.
2: Yeah. It was a big third quarter from D'Angelo. I believe he had 15 points, but what I was impressed with was some of the hustle and defensive effort plays, you know, after losing a game in OKC, a game to OKC, that you're up big, you know, really hurt the team. You know, you're, possibly your best player comes in and he puts in a ton of energy he played great defense at Kyle Lowry too we got the big high fry from Kenny Atkinson during the game which I thought was pretty cool too so I think D'Angelo just having that monster game Spencer also stepped up too didn't have a bad game either and just the team just looked like they were playing with full effort throughout the 48 minutes and they really wanted to win that game And there wasn't a ton of mistakes and they played the best team like you said so I think there's just really not much to say about it other than they just came to
3: play yeah the engagement was there for four quarters you know I didn't necessarily expect us to to close this one out because, you know, the Toronto Raptors with Kawhi Leonard and Kyle Lowry, even Pascal Siakam, you know, it's three possible All-Stars right there to at least guarantee. This is a really, really good team. And, you know, for them to have one of their few losses against us, you know, it shows that we can match ourselves against some of these better teams in the NBA. And, you know, all it takes is, you know, a, a statement performance from some of our guys and, you know, 48 minutes of good quality basketball, you know, it doesn't necessarily have to be, you know, awesome offense, but just grinding it out, you know, making the shots when possible, you know, making the right plays, showing the hustle and just that Brooklyn sort of energy and spirit that we've come to know and love from our guys.
2: Yeah, and we were kind of questioning that after the Cavs game. We you know we saw it in OKC for the first three quarters, but you know, and again in the Toronto game, we saw them really step up and they really grind it up because they had twenty turnovers in the Raptors game, but they killed them on the boards, sixty to forty-one.
3: Yeah, rebounding Nick. We just mentioned it when it came to the Knicks game. I think probably with any team in the NBA, the Knicks win it, the Nets win it, then the Nets are going to um, generally win the games that go with it as well. Uh, Toronto just had a tough time, you know, guys like Jonas Valanciunas there, when they do play that small ball as well, you know, you can sort of punish them a little bit. But I think, you know, it's become a a real emphasis on both sides of the floor, offensive and defensive rebounding. And it's become a real sort of, you know, focal point to winning Nets basketball. So, you know, I I think it's probably one of the most underrated aspects of of basketball these days. You know, we talk about the three-point shot more than anything, pace and space. And yes, the Nets love it as well as much as any other team. But... You know, when we rebound the ball, we do good things. And, you know, it allows us to get in transition. It allows us to get second chance points. And it just feeds, you know, uh, across all other aspects of the game. Yeah, exactly. And
2: what else did you like from this game? You know, I thought in the third quarter, there was uh, Kenny Ackerson took out Jared Allen. And maybe because of foul trouble or maybe he didn't like something he did. But he put Ed Davis in early. Ed Davis did a better job on Balanchunas in that third quarter. And then Jared Allen seemed a lot fresher for, you know, the rest of the third quarter in that fourth quarter.
3: Yeah, Ed Davis, 21 minutes, Nick, plus 11. You know, him and D'Angelo Russell won that plus minus battle, you know, for the Nets. Not many other guys were, were positive in that sort of sense. Uh, Jared Allen himself was minus 10. So uh, I think we mentioned, you know, the times where we criticized Coach Kenny where it's warranted, but we also do give him his kudos where it's due. And, you know, it's a really underrated move for being able to recognize and sort of make in game adjustments, which I think a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot of people have criticized him for not being able to make those in-game adjustments when necessary, but he certainly did it. He was able to sort of read the flow of the game, read the flow of his players because, you know, if anyone knows uh, our guys more than anyone, it's definitely Coach Kenny. You cannot deny the love and knowledge he has for each of his guys and the tendencies that he knows. So I think just a lot of little things that Coach Kenny did in this game made a real impact on winning basketball. And you know, I, I think it's sort of silenced some of the people who uh, had been criticizing him in- incessantly for for quite a bit.
2: Especially going up against Nick Nurse, who some people has a Coach of the Year candidate, who's the, obviously yeah. with yeah. the Raptors having the best record. So, you know, I thought it was a nice coaching performance from Kenny. And Rondé at the end of that game in overtime on Kawhi Leonard, locking him up defensively, forcing the pass to Larry, who kicked it out to Van Vliet, is exactly what you want to do. You want, you know, probably the fourth or fifth best player on the floor on the opposing team to have to knock down that shot to beat you. Not like the OKC game where you're giving it to Paul George, who already had 40-plus points.
3: Yeah, I remember tweeting, We were watching the replay of the OKC game and Rondé made the mistake uh, and he redeemed himself. And then some, you know, on on one of the MVP contenders right now and probably the best two-way player in the game, and Kawhi Leonard. You know, I think Jared Dudley came out with a tweet as well, you know, and someone was sort of saying, well, you guys left Van Vliet open. And he responded with, look, you're going to make anyone but Kawhi win the game for you. And I think Van Vliet as well did come in, you know, just for the play and wasn't necessarily fresh and sort of game ready, so to speak. So I think that that was, you know, incredible defense from Rondé and the team and their awareness. You could just see that they really, really wanted this one. And, you know, we talked about turning points and such, but, you know, D'Angelo Russell's passion after the game, you know, this really meant a lot to the Nets and. To beat, you know, the Toronto Raptors, who are one of my favorite teams, you know, outside of Brooklyn. You know, it might be sacrilegious to say uh, against a division rival, but <laughs> look, I'm, a, I'm a, you know, it's not just Drake. You know, I know you're a big Drake fan as well, Nick. But you know, there's just something about it. You know, uh, my other uh, best Nick in my life, Nick Busing. Me and him have always sort of thought of ourselves as Kyle, Larry, and Tomato Derozan. So to get this win, uh, and they're only on the up, the Toronto Raptors to so sort of be that blip on their radar. And When you guys, when you know a lot of NBA pundits look back, because you know the Nets aren't going to get a lot of credit, but you know the, at all all coverage, the, the, they'll go, okay, well, who was the only team that sort of bet the Raptors on this sort of run? And you'll go, look, it was the Brooklyn Nets. So uh, it was a, certainly a very, very satisfying showing.
2: It really was. And the fact they beat them in overtime, you know, when you have the the team like the Raptors who were, like we mentioned, are very talented, more talented than the Nets, they had that extra time to kind of beat it up and kind of clean up their mess from earlier and the Nets held on and won it. I thought that was impressive. We do have to touch on one thing though. At the end of the game, D'Angelo Russell on the last possession offensively had another turnover. You know, he's had some late game issues. Is this something you're concerned about with him late in the game or does he just kind of need to keep working on it, keep working on it? And
3: eventually he'll get a hold of it. Yeah, I think it's just knowledge from him. I was incredibly frustrated. You know, I'll probably scream so loud that my neighbors <laughs> in the other suburbs in Sydney might have even heard me. Um, it was a, it was a frustrating moment. But, you know, we uh, if you look at it the, to the other end, you know, we wouldn't have been in the game if it weren't for D'Angelo Russell's, you know, um, performance. You know, he, he was uh, absolutely outstanding. And, you know, he's made some timely mistakes in terms of when we look back to the Pelicans game as well. But hopefully okay, this... You. OKC as well. Hopefully, this is an impetus for him to go. Look, I can't over dribble this. You know, he's probably in his head a little bit. And I did see, uh, you know, in the NBA league pass, sort of watching it as they went to the bench. He was having a not a heated discussion, but a sort of very animated discussion with Jared Dudley. Going, look, this is probably what you need to do next time. And DeAndre was like, look, I get it. I know. Uh, I- I'm not reading any lips here, but it was certainly they were making the uh, the point And, and I was probably. I'm construing the fact that D'Angelo's like, I wanted to run the clock down. I want it as much as possible. But he because... just didn't do that. So
2: that makes sense. You know, what was it was it okay? Yeah, I think it was OKC okay where he did yes. clock down all the way. And then yep. obviously they got the extra time to run the full play. So I can get that. It's just like, I think the problem with that possession was he just held the ball for 24 seconds.
3: Way too long. And uh, I think if he had have dished it off a little bit earlier, um, it would have been fine. Or if he had have got it into his own with maybe five seconds left or got into, you know, D'Angelo Russell is really good when it comes to the pick-and-roll. And with a guy out there, whether it's Jared Allen or whoever, he can get his own space and make shots from near eye anywhere on the floor, you know, within, you know, from the 25 feet and, and, and inside. So uh, I think he just needs to have a, a little more game awareness. But, um, you know, at the end of the day, we've got the W, so it we can put it down to a positive learning experience rather than, you know, a negative one that we dwell on.
2: Anything else stick out to you in this Raptors game that you want to discuss?
3: Yeah, it was good to see uh, Rodion's, we talked about him in the Nick sort of game, but he was a, a lot more positive in this performance than this one. You know, he again, you know, got the got the nod ahead of a guy like Shabazz Napier. You know, Jared Dudley's minutes again, 11. So we are sort of see them stem lower and lower and lower. I'm, I'm going to be interested to see uh, see what happens against Philly, whether that increases with the time off or whether a guy like Shabazz Napier does see some time because I think he could match up okay against a guy like TJ McConnell. But again, that'll be something to see uh, in in the Philly performance. But uh, nothing but good things from this to interrupt this performance, Nick.
2: Yeah. And like yeah, to touch on Rodeon's, I really like the play where he, I think he had a mistake on the offensive end, the next play defensively, he got the steal and the slam. And that's always, that's one of my favorite plays in basketball. Great momentum twister right there. So if he can keep doing those type of things defensively, like we said, he has some work to do. But if he can put the energy in and get those deflections, I think that's huge.
3: Yeah, it seems to be, you know, for a guy like Ronda, and I'll touch a little bit on Alan Crabb as well, who I think, you know, despite the fact that we say he is probably an absolute negative asset with how um, his contract is, he's starting to make the three-point shot. And if he's at least doing that, and sort of opening up the floor a little bit. Yeah, he wasn't great in this Toronto game, but, you know, not many guys were from the field. But he's making the three, so that's more than we could say of him earlier in the season. So, and he's, I think I saw it on the Brooklyn game or or another Nets fan Twitter page. You know, you can sort of see the confidence and he's getting his legs a a little bit more. You can sort of go, yeah, look, this is almost money now. So he may have his streaky games, but, you know, he's been uh, very good of late, especially from the perimeter.
2: Yeah, he's starting to kind of get the pressure off because he's having some of these big games where it's like, all right, he looks at the the box score. He's not doing too bad. If he can keep boosting that confidence, we don't need him to be amazing. We just need him to be consistently pretty good. You know what I mean? Yeah. Having yeah. him and Joe Harris, two guys that can knock down threes at, you know, at least 38-plus a clip, I think that'd be big for the team.
3: Yeah, uh, I think it's it changes our entire offense and allows us to be absolutely awesome. Uh, it, it was a nice performance from him getting in the double digits as well. And, you know, he is a good rebounder too. So I think that there are some things that Alan Crabb is signed to do well and he's becoming more of a, a positive sort of impact for the Nets than he was earlier in the season.
2: Yeah, I think I saw a stat before the Knicks game. He's one of the players in the league right now that had more points than shots. Obviously, I'm pretty sure that changed after the Knicks performance, but good for him to kind of get in that positive note. Now we do have to touch on the one negative of the week so far, well, the second negative of the week, another loss against OKC where they had that big 20 plus point lead and they blew it in the fourth quarter. You know, obviously, Paul George had 47, 25 in the fourth. We're not going to really break down the entire game because like we said, the first two and a half quarters were really good what went wrong in this one jack what happened where the nets just couldn't win this
3: the nets just lost their way in terms of just having the awareness to be able to go okay well who's the one that's going to cook us here it's paul george and we didn't really have the capabilities to stop him it was almost like you know you just knew what was happening and and paul george was just simply outstanding and and i think there were times where we could sort of See it happening. See it turning. See it turning. But we just couldn't make the adjustments. And I think a, a lot of people on Twitter following that game were just sort of saying, "Look, they have two superstars. We have none. And it's a lot harder to win and close out games when you don't have a superstar, so to speak." You know, Karis was our sort of star closer. Uh, we're starting to sort of get that a little bit with DeAndre, a little bit in glimpses with Spencer. But it, it just—it's just tough. And when Rondae Hollis Jefferson isn't at his best defensively you know, the, the Nets will struggle as well because he is the guy that's probably going to be your stopper. Uh, and without Trevion Graham, you know, a guy like Paul George is going to have his own. He was just uh, simply awesome.
2: Yeah, now, Rondé really didn't play a ton in this game. He only had 22 minutes. You think Kenny should have looked to maybe put him a little bit more late in that game when Paul George was cooking because physically he's probably one of the only Nets that can really match up with him. You know, Alan Crabb, Joe Harris, Spencer Dinwiddie, all undersized.
3: Yeah, and and a lot of those guys as well, undersized, and and a lot of them don't have, you know, despite Paul George having that, you know, horrific injury, he's still very athletic and very crafty. I think Rodney can match him in that aspect, and he proved it that he can with a guy like Kawhi Leonard, uh, who I think you know, had an absolutely massive slam on us, but Paul George still has that hops about him too. So, I personally would have liked to have seen it. We did see him out for the final play, uh, and and whether that was sort of playing in his mind, sort of he was overthinking things. Is like, i got to earn this for, for, you know, I haven't been out much tonight. I need to make sure I do the right thing. He was overthinking things. But yeah, it would have been nice to have seen that adjustment from Coach Kenny. Uh, it could have been the difference between winning and losing the game in such a tight tussle, um, but I think it's it's going to be again uh, one of those things where we have to go to look back on and go okay this is what we did wrong this is what we did right uh, and for the most part it was a pretty positive performance but you know when you have Paul George making twenty five points in a quarter and you know not being able to guard him in that final stanza and that final play it was just yeah we they we let them win the game.
2: Yeah, you know, I'll touch on a couple points. First off, you know, you mentioned Ronde being in there. I thought not only was it Ronde, I think with Spencer did when he too, I think there was some miscommunication. I think he looked to switch and Spencer didn't look to switch. Then it was a late switch and then he bought the pump fake. You thought somebody else in the Net so would step up there. Because like what happened in the Raptors game, they just forced somebody else to shoot the shot. We know Paul George had forty-seven at that time or forty-five at that or what do you have? Forty-four at that time. And nobody kind of stepped up to contest a shot. And then very frustrating on the you know the possession before that, D'Angelo giving them too much time and settling for a pull-up shot. And then the final possession where they couldn't even get the ball in bounds. I think that always hurts. That's been a major frustration of the season. The Nets have given up these big shots late, and then the, the next possession, they haven't even been able to get the ball in. Now, do you think that's on the coach, the players, the execution, the inbound passer? What is it? Why can the Nets not get these late passes in?
3: Well, I think it's more of the players, Nick. You know, you can't get Coach Kennedy. He, he can't go out there and make the passes in bo- inbounds. Uh, so I think it has to be, you know, you can make the argument that maybe one of the taller guys needs to be making the inbounds, whether it's a Rondé or whether it's a Jared Allen or, or whoever. But, you know, obviously, Coach Kenny values the spacing in terms of the the offensive lineups. So uh, I think it needs to be more on the players there. And, you know, we talk about the timeout sort of issue as well. If there is, you know, you have to take that extra time and if they're available, do it. And sort of, you know, because I know a lot of coaches who keep those up their sleeve, uh, I think Popovich and Kerr are sort of masters of it. They want to see how the defense is being set. And then they go, okay, cool. We know how they're going to set. Let's maybe change it up a little bit here. Um, and, And if Coach Kenny does have those up his sleeve, then do it. Tell these players to do it. I think there needs to be uh, a greater awareness from our guys. And I think that we've started to show that in, in the Knicks and Mathis games.
2: Yeah, I think like you said, Jack, the inbound passer I think needs to be more crisp with their passes. we saw at times, it's been kind of lackadaisical. Then also the players sometimes on their cuts aren't amazing. It's like they're kind of like running slow. I don't know if that's the design of the play, but they're not crisp late in that game. We need them to get open and get an easy pass in. And like you said, taller inbound passer. I think one thing I'd maybe like to see from Kenny is put a taller player out there like Jared Allen and use his vertical spacing and have someone throw an open in that situation. Obviously, it's a tough thing to do, but at least you keep the defense honest. And that's something that, you know, we saw from the Nets in the past more in the New Jersey days. I'd like to see that a little bit more from the Nets right now is take advantage of Jared Allen's, you know, a p- potential above the rim.
3: Yeah, I think you can certainly make that argument there, Nick. I think Jared Allen's passing – has a bit of a ways to go he is a little bit sloppy in that sort of sense but he has the potential there uh i, I think that they need to it, it it's a double-edged sword i'll probably go in with devil's advocate here because i think that no, i
2: mean more so not as a passer i'm saying get him on the inbound in terms of run, rolling to the rim and setting screens not as yeah. an down passer
3: yep. yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I certainly uh wouldn't argue with that uh I, I think again we sort of talked about and i talked about he just values the spacing there. Uh, yeah. And I think Jared Allen hasn't proven the fact that, you know, he can hit the three ball uh, at a consistent rate yet. But, you know, it depends on, you know, that sort of margin. If it's a one or two point margin, you know, maybe, you know, the pick and roll is one of the safest plays to go with if you have a bit of time, you know. Jared Allen can sit a nice pick, can roll to the rim, you know, incredibly well. And has, you know, grown in leaps and bounds in that area. can finish with both hands. So uh, I, I think it's uh, adding a little bit of variety for a guy like Coach Kenny. But again, you know, he's he's going to make his mistakes, he's going to do his good things. You know, we'll recognize when he does both uh, and and I think for the most part of that game he was good. It was just you know, I think it was a lack of execution on both, on both parties.
2: Yeah, I don't think it was much on the coach in that OKC game because they played great. You know, OKC scored 39 in the fourth quarter. That doesn't happen because of the coach, that be, happens because your transition defense is trash, your overall defense is trash, you're not guarding Paul George it is trash. So I don't think you can put that really on the coach, I just felt like the effort really died. Someone brought up this point too, is OKC was missing a lot of shots in this game. Obviously they're not a great offense, but the Nets kept giving them open shots, open shots and they just started knocking down the fourth, got their confidence going. They The Nets kind of let the momentum hurt them, and they only scored 19 points in the fourth. So it's like they just need to be on top, and they need to do the small things. We saw the opposite thing in the Raptors game where they really grind out the fourth. I think they maybe had 19. The Raptors had 18 or something along those lines. So I think it's just like paying attention. I think transition D is something we saw tonight in the Knicks game, too, a little bit at times. where They just got a little bit lazy. You know, don't let these teams get easy baskets. If you're forcing them in the half-court offense, you have a lot better chance of stopping them.
3: Definitely. And, and I think it's we are a team who is making adjustments. You know, we are using these as experience to sort of learn from. You know, a lot of these cliches are going to be, you know, a bit tiresome to fans and listeners, but, you know, they ring true. You know, we don't have – we haven't gone through these sort of trials and tribulations, and the only way you are going to grow from them is to sort of, you know, mark them down, watch the video, uh, you know, implement things at practice, you know, make the uh, re- relevant adjustments in and out of game. Um, But yeah, I I think that going forward, all of these sort of things, we look at them with rosier lenses because of this sort of mini winning streak we've been on. So to be that close against one of the best defensive teams in the league, you know, in Philly as well, you know, the only real blip on the radar was the Cavs game, like you mentioned Nick.
2: Yeah, exactly. You know, these games, they were they had the eight-game losing streak. They had a lot of close games against great teams, and I'll argue for the Memphis game that they won that game and the refs took it away. That's my honest opinion. But the other games like Philly, like OKC, one bounce, even the Cavs game, one bounce goes their way. They win that game. We're talking about a really nice run for the Nets. So I think right now, like you said, Jack, with the back-to-back wins, it's easier to look back at the past and be like, all right, maybe they learned a lot about it, and this can be a turning point for the season. It's really going to be interesting to see what they do against Philly on Wednesday. They got a little bit of break. Great time to get some practice practicing and great time to get some adjustments in there.
3: Yeah, it's going to be a game by game thing. You know, the the season is still, there's still plenty, plenty of time to go, plenty of games to go. You know, the Eastern Conference is still wide open after, you know, the Washington had uh, an absolutely horrific loss to the Cavs today. So, you know, that eighth spot, you know, might be within reach. Who knows? Um, But at the same time, you know, there's, uh, I think the Nets fans need to be open to all scenarios. And I think that the front offices as well, because, you know, we know how how talented the draft class is, but, you know, it's going to be, you know, it's game. Game by game, you know, it's the the cliches, you know, they're cliches for a reason because they generally are ring true and they are true.
2: Yeah, and to just mention the playoff uh, standings, only three games back for Orlando Magic. And we yeah. know Orlando was not a very good team last year after that first run they had. Obviously a little bit different this year with new coach and everything, players stepping up. But definitely a possibility. And you mentioned the Wizards just got smacked by the Cavs. Now you look at as a potential team that could kind of blow it up. And Miami's been a team that's kind of been on and off all season long. So the potential still there for the Nets. But I think we're going to still need to see more growth from guys. If Alan Crabb can maybe keep playing well, if Rondé can take those improvements, Jared Allen takes another step. The guards, I think one thing that's important, we've seen some positive plays from Spencer DeWitt and D'Angelo Ross. Russell, but they're not fully in sync. When they get fully in sync and learn to play great together like we saw Carislavert and D'Angelo Russell do, I think that will be a huge, you know, game breaker for the Nets.
3: Yeah, and we've seen it on a few occasions, I think, you know, the one that springs to mind um, most notably is that a game against Washington away from home, that was probably the best we've seen of them too. But, you know, Spencer Dimony is going back to his sort of backup role sort of leading the second unit and then closing at times. And then, you know, we didn't see DeAndre Russell close out this game. So I think it's going to be, you know, trial and error and seeing what fits and works best. Um, I think come the, you know, the midpoint of the season, it'll be fascinating to see where those two are at individually and where the team is at, you know, in. In ten to fifteen games time, because you know I've, I've mentioned it, you know on many occasion, and I'm going to continue mentioning these two are the keys to our season. How they can gel individually and how they can gel together is going to be determined if we make the playoffs or if we are a, a lottery bound team. Um, but the the signs are good; they're at least playing well. Uh, individually for the most part of the season. And and who knows? You know, D'Angelo Russell could even be an all-star if he starts to put up some big numbers as well because, you know, those sort of last couple of spots, even Spencer Dimity is playing, you know, incredibly well. So there's, you know, the signs are there. It's going to be uh, fascinating to see it unfold.
2: Yeah, I mean, if the Nets were able to get, you know, to 500 or close to or slightly above it, you know, by the time February came along, it could really help their case, especially if there's an injury, what it always seems like there is. And the coaches have to sub somebody in. So, you know, something to keep an eye on in this next, next stretch, which we've talked about over the last couple of buzzes is still important. They have a lot of winnable games coming up. It's going to be taking care of business and see where you're at when the new year starts.
3: Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, with Spencer Dimitri's shoes coming out, the nice momentum that he's got, um, you know, I, I wish I had some extra money. Maybe I get a little bit extra money. For what are they, buck 50? Yeah, they're not too bad. And, you know, I, I, I'm all about supporting guys who put out their own sort of, you know, going a different sort of route. Uh, I'm not... I mean, not necessarily a big baller brand fan, uh, because you know, I, I'm. I, I mean, I don't like the Lakers. I don't. I, I like Lonzo, but I don't like LeVar and the entire ball family. You know, glorified Kardashians for me. Um, sure, that, but I right. love. Yeah, I mean, I love, but I love Spencer and, you know, I love what he's doing, you know, bringing attention to himself and bringing attention to the organization and doing all these wonderful things with, you know, the designs that he's had, um, you know, really making the most of these new shoe, shoe rules where he's able to sort of showcase his artistic talents and his creativity. Uh, I, I'm all about it for Spence because he's a very, very intelligent dude and he deserves all the success on and off the court.
2: Yeah, it's been really great to see, and obviously part of his dream project, which is huge, and we always appreciate Spencer on and off the court, like you mentioned, Jack. And also wanted to let you guys know this won't be the only buzz we'll be dropping. We'll be dropping another one tomorrow. We'll talk about some of the topics, some of the questions you sent us. We just wanted to get those game recaps in here, so definitely look out for another buzz dropping after this one. But, Jack, always a pleasure, and you can always check out the buzz, iTunes, Block Talk radio, otgbasketball.com, Dash Radio, and YouTube.
1: Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime. Mother's Day is almost here, and you can get her the most beautiful time-tested gift around. A watch she can wear every day for movement. Whether your mom is into classic dress watches, rare and refined ceramics, or tried-and-true bestsellers,